Welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. The Safe Haven Podcast is a space for you to be real, raw, emotional, vulnerable, hilarious, and or completely carefree. This podcast is a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life, and a judgment-free zone. Join me and my powerful guests as we dive into a variety of conversations and topics. Listen from where you are, as you are. Think, laugh, and cry along with us, whether you're in your car, in the kitchen, chasing your kids, running your business, caregiving for someone that you love, getting a mani-pedi, while you're in the hospital, a treatment center, sitting on the deck, on the dock, or out for a run. These weekly stories and messages will hit you right in the heart, fill up your cup, and recharge your spirits. Joining me today is one of my friends, my besties, Lindsay Francis, and we are sitting and sweating in Chengu Bali. <laughs> Hi, Lindsay. Hi. Hey. <laughs> and uh, we, it's actually, this is the funniest setup. I'm going to definitely describe what's happening. For those of you that actually listened to last week's TGIT, and I was, you know, talking about how frustrated I was when I was talking about trying to set up my stupid mic, not Matt Cole still, uh, and now I'm feeling quite clever, actually. We're sitting <laughs> Look at this setup. It's beautiful. Um, I have a my super trusty Apple headphones hanging from a bed frame that's like one of those, what do you call this, like a princess bed? Yeah, I don't know. I always dreamed of having one though. Yeah, right? It's got like these thingies hanging down from it and it's all tied up around the bed frame. So I've because the headphones split, obviously one goes in your left ear, one goes in your right ear. So I've got the one with the mic hanging down in between our faces right now. <laughs> I feel super innovative. Yeah. This is MacGyver, man. You're and a genius. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and the other one is like being suspended from the bed frame and it's working fabulously. So good for us. Let's hope. Yeah. Hey, so Lindsay and I have been friends. You know what is funny is even though we both went to university together, we didn't really hang out much in uni. No, and we were like acquaintances. Yeah. Like we had some of the same friends, but we were yeah. never really friends. No, but you opened your heart and your space when you were in Australia, up in yeah. Noosa. No, I was in Cairns when you first messaged me. I remember. Was, Cairns was the first place that I went and like settled down and got a job when I moved to Aussie. Um, and I remember getting a message from you being like, Hey, I'm going to go do my working holiday visa. Like what, how do you do this? And how do you do that? You know, like all the questions you have of visas and moving your life overseas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you were like, I heard, you know, you're living over there and just like hoping you can help me out with this, that, and the other. And that's how we reconnected. But you hosted me in Noosa. Yeah. Sure. And then to the fairy pools and everything. Yeah. And then so the next place I moved down to was Noosa on the Sunshine Coast. And that's when you were in Oz and we could finally meet up. We were in the same place. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget because I will never, you know, how you have these certain funny things that happen in your life that you can just put it down to like what you were wearing, where you were sitting, what day it was, how much money I had in my bank account, which was not enough. <laughs> because when I came to see you in Noosa... I remember that that was where I remember so vividly sitting on the deck watching the sun come up and, or whatever sunset, I just remember the sun was on the horizon and I had $24 and like 97 cents in my bank account, still had to buy a friggin' $50 <laughs> stupid Greyhound ticket, remember? And I remember trying not to panic and like diving into my money in Canada and I was like, abundance, abundance, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> 
<laughs> trying to like hold my head above water, but we got there. And um, we had so much fun though. The yeah. fairy pools were wicked. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely where our fe- I feel like our friendship really blossomed was mm-hmm. was from there because we really connected there. Mm-hmm. And then basically have been forever pen pals yeah. since. Yeah. And just seeing each other wherever our paths cross in the world. So it's been New Zealand too. Did we hang out in New Zealand? Oh, yes. Which part? Queenstown. You're working at a bar. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sounds about right. Yeah, (laughs) you have spent a lot of times in bars. (laughs) Yeah, that was not a long visit because I was only just there ripping through with Jess. Right, okay. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, it's been great. And even anytime that you come home, we try to meet up there. We've met up at your cottage and we've met up at your house down in Elderton. Yeah. Yeah. But we make it work. Yeah, and then otherwise just send the old-fashioned letter. It feels so good, eh? Yeah. And then we got kind of lazy but really creative, really. <laughs> <laughs> we started, like... I'll just write an email, but then I'll print it off and pay to send it. <laughs> but it still feels great getting something in your mailbox. So much better. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And actually, so we were kind of giving each other shit for the longest time about it. It's like, why the hell are you typing? Like... You're supposed to handwrite. And it's like, but I have so much to tell you. So many things to say. And like, and you want to say it all at once because if you go back to it, then things have changed and you're like, no, I have to rewrite this. Yeah. So it's like, you want to sit down and do it all. But then it takes hours when you're writing and you're writing and you're writing. And then you don't feel like you're saying everything no. because you're like, <laughs> oh, my hand hurts. <laughs> or I can't go as in depth in this as I want. Yeah. You've sent some really cool things too. Even some paintings or we, we used to color. Remember we do like adult the coloring adult pages? The adult coloring books, yeah. <laughs> and write letters on the back. I still have some of those like up on my cork boards at home in New Zealand. Me too. Yeah. Well, not that I, just, I actually like, have a real house right there. now. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of like, yeah. Well, we're in Bali, Abby, but I don't really have a home besides my Mazda right now. And my <laughs> paintings from you, I'm sorry, are back in Ontario. <laughs> Okay. You, uh, you don't have to carry them around the world with you. I but for- I still have I forgive them. you for that. Okay. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I do feel better about this. Oh, so, um, cool, too, because just even making that connection between... Uh, you know, being in Bali, I've done my yoga teacher training, you just got back from yours, and really about how yoga was one of those things that we both really kind of dabbled in here and there, but really started to dive into in Australia. Yeah, yeah, I did, my first ever yoga class was in Nusa. The Bikram. The Bikram, yeah, Mm -hmm. I was always intrigued about hot yoga, Um, and I was surfing at the time and I thought like it would pair really well doing the hot yoga and the surfing. And to be fair, I was in banging shape. I just, yeah, didn't, you were. I just didn't know it at the time. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I started my hot yoga there and that was my first kind of experience of yoga. And to this day, like although I've done many different kinds of yoga at this point, I still love hot yoga. I still love Bikram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and then you came to visit and I convinced you into a class and I was obsessed with those I'll never forget even the Lorna Jane shorts that I wore I was like I need these I have those here with me do you yeah they are (laughs) life-changing I could honestly wear like a full piece onesie I've had them for ages and I still have them yeah oh go Lorna yeah kudos to her yeah she's got it sorted what a great company I know right (laughs) well it's when you even think of yoga teacher training that has been something that you've been talking about for a while so why yeah. now? Yeah, so long. So I remember when I left 
New Zealand initially when I first thought I was like traveling there for a season and then I left and I went and did Thailand and <clears throat> and then thought my next trip from Southeast Asia was going to be over to India and I really wanted to do my yoga teacher training in India and then it just wasn't the right time for me then you know I had mm-hmm. so many other things going on and I had so many things calling me back to Queenstown in the end mm-hmm. And I really missed it. And I was like, why the heck did I just leave this amazing place? And so that's what I did is I went back to Queenstown instead. And, you know, life carries on. And I was, you know, getting sponsored through my work. And that meant, you know, staying there. And then um, I was still doing yoga of all sorts, but like kind of picking it up and putting it down. And then... I guess in the past, you know, a little while, somewhere in between there, my mental health really came to the forefront, you know, like intellectually, I've always known that mental health is important, especially through like my university and my college and, you know, studying psychology and sociology and social work and addictions and, you know, working in that field for Mm -hmm. a while as well. But it's one thing to know intellectually that mental health is important and, you know, preach it to other people. And it's another thing to really be aware of your own. And um, that's something that yoga has really taught me um, along the way. Um, And so I was recently in a job that just wasn't going the way I thought it was going to go. You know, on paper, it was such a great job. And it was such a great job for me and my interests. But I wasn't happy there. Mm -hmm. And I really had to be true to myself and say, this is affecting your life and I had an opportunity where my contracts were rolling over so I just decided to not take the next contract and when I decided that I was like well what am I going to do with all my time Mm -hmm. you know like now I've got no job and you know what am I going to do and yoga teacher training came back to the forefront five more than five years later after my first thought of doing it and so you know, got on the internet, got on Google, and it was so last minute that I was like, where can I do this and still do it at like a great place? You know, I don't want to compensate, you know, and do it at some horrible place that I'm not going to enjoy or that's not, you know, authentic. Um, and so I was looking through actually Nepal, India, and Bali, and Indonesia in general, I guess. And, um, so researched through so many different schools and like obviously I was looking for you know dates to go as soon as possible long story short in that I still really wanted to do it in India because India is like the birthplace of yoga and it just seems Mm -hmm. amazing but I wasn't in the right mental state at the time to take on India on my own Mm -hmm. so I was just like where you know I've always wanted to go to Indonesia I haven't been there yet um and then found a great school um, so signed up and I literally signed up like seven days before mm-hmm. the course started. I remember Skyping you even from yeah. the UK. And I was like, uh, I quit my job and I'm going to Bali. <laughs> and like everybody in my life was like, what? Oh, yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, but I just have to, you know, like yeah. it was just like an urge and it was a timing. The timing was just right for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I so strongly believe that timing is everything. It is. Um, so, yeah, here I am. Um, I 
have been in Bali for a month now and did my yoga teacher training, successfully got my cert and then hung out on the islands and hanging out with you and then I fly home tomorrow, which it's been some rides, but it's been like such an amazing month. Mm-hmm. Big time, eh? Yeah. What are you finding even physically or emotionally have been like some big takeaways? Physically, emotionally, mentally, even from the yoga teacher training? It's, I got, we could deep dive into that one because having been that there even myself. That could take me like six hours. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> but I guess too, for someone who's always prioritized their physical health and, you know, more recently their mental health, you know, you've really, you know, taken on your own personal practices, you know, how much maybe has this solidified how important prioritizing physical and mental health has been? Yeah, like growing up, I always knew that physical health was important. I was always such an active kid involved in so many team sports Mm -hmm. and even individual things and achieve, achieve, achieve. And, you know, that was I was just go, go, go as a kid. And um, yeah, the mental health, like I said, you know, it's just really come to the forefront for me recently. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that came about mostly due to a concussion that I had Mm -hmm. um, that really made me realize how important taking care of your head is Um, for myself. You know, I never thought that I was one of those people that had to be so aware of it, but I think that's everybody. But Mm -hmm. I just, you know, growing up being physically active, that's just like a given. Mm -hmm. And then the, the mental part, I just wasn't so aware of myself. And so like this yoga, this mindfulness, this meditation practice has been so great for me. And that's like one of the things I love, even though, you know, I did start with a love of Bikram. I now love yin because it brings that yin to my like so yang life, you mm-hmm. know, the so go, go, go lifestyle. And it's like forces me to just chill out and you're here right now and empty your brain and relax you know um that's been so pivotal in my recovery from my concussion my mental health um I've been you know up and down mental health wise since my concussion and um let's pause there for a second how did you get your concussion so I got my concussion um I grew up doing karate as a kid um and then moved overseas and kind of you know lost that whole martial arts side um of of me doing in in terms of physical activity and then um one of my good friends knew that I had that background and he boxed with um like a local trainer in the city I live in in New Zealand now and he said to me you know you should really he's starting a boot camp you should really come join this boot camp and that was however many years ago and so I was like, oh, and it was like, I was working in hospitality at the time and it was like 6 a.m. three mornings a week. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like this sounds mm-hmm. intense, but something in me was like, go do it. You know, you, you do need a kick in the ass to go do something. So I signed up for this anyways, making that very long story short. Um, I ended up fighting in a charity boxing event and then carried on. I just loved the physical and I loved changing my hospital schedule of being a night hawk to being a morning person mm-hmm. and like being healthy um so I was still even after my fight I was doing these boot camps and in one of the boot camps I was sparring um 
and it was just light sparring, but I was sparring a guy that was a lot bigger than me. So he hit me at the end of our session in the eye. And I thought at the time, um, I thought like I would come out with a black eye and I was like a little bit dizzy when he hit me and we stopped and, and he was like, are you all right? And I was, and we had a bit of a chuckle about it and it was the end of the session anyways. And, and I went on my way thinking if anything came of it, it would just be a little bit of a black eye. And then as that day progressed, it was a Friday. I just progressively felt worse and worse and worse throughout the day. And <clears throat> so I'm going to stop there for a second because everybody seems to think that concussions are when you are out cold. That is such a misconception. You don't have to be out cold to get a concussion. I was never out cold for this concussion. Um, so I just want to put that one out there to anybody that doesn't have experience with it. Um, it's just, it's essentially your brain rattling around in your skull whether you go out cold or not. And so throughout this day, I felt worse and worse and worse. And um, a friend was having a barbecue that night. And so I went around to their house. And, you know, it was, it was just a mellow social gathering. But on a Friday night, everybody was cracking a few beers. And um, I just did not want to be around the music. I did not want the lights on. Like all my, my senses were on overdrive. And I was just, I remember standing at the tap and I could not drink enough water. I was just sculling water. And I said to my partner at the time, I was like, I, I can't be here. You know, like I really wanted to stick it out and be social and be okay. But I was like, I, after a while, it's just like, I cannot have to leave. Like mm -hmm. my head is killing me. I'm spinning. I can't, like, these, these sounds are too much. These lights are too much, you know? And so I went home went to bed, woke up the next day, still felt awful with these like headaches and eventually was eventually tied it back to the hit in boxing and was like, that must have, you know, been worse than I thought at the time. Um, and so I was lucky in the sense that I played um, ice hockey or just hockey to North Americans. And so uh, one of the physios in town had um volunteered her time to do baseline tests on all of us for concussions um prior to this happening to me so i already had a baseline with a physio so i figured well this is what this is for so i should go back to this physio even though a physio initially wouldn't be my first thought of the person to go to with a head injury i would have probably gone to the doctor otherwise but i was like if anybody knows what to test against it'll be the physio that has this baseline test of me already mm -hmm. So I went back and did the did another test, exactly the same as the baseline, to test the results against the baseline. And, you know, it was definitely showing signs of concussion. Um, should I carry on? <laughs> I Keep going, like I'm girl. just like Get it, girl. rambling. Let go. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that, I mean, that's how I got my concussion to... to Okay, well, let's dive into then side effects, you know, short term, long term, what was well, obviously you just kind of mentioned even then when you'd gone out that night, you know, what you were experiencing then. But when you look at, you know, um, you know, a day later, two days later, like what, what were your symptoms like, even afterwards? And then how did that affect even things longer term? Yeah, so they call that a delayed onset concussion for, you know, obvious, 
reasons. That's quite self-explanatory. Um, so there's lots of different types of concussions that you can have. Um, like I said, you can go out cold completely or you can, you know, it takes time to set in like mine. And initially the symptoms were very physical. Um, they were, you know, headaches, light sensitivity, um, noise sensitivity, um, dizziness you know like all the very stereotypical symptoms that you hear of with concussions that was me but I'm very much of the attitude of like just get on with it I grew up not knowing about concussions you know like it's something that you kind of like you know that head injuries are a thing obviously you wear helmets and sports and stuff but you don't I never learned the severity of them and I always kind of grew up with the mentality of like your head's you know and strong skull it's got a strong skull like you'll be all right you're 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 sweet and to be fair I think I was and up until that point but I kind of denied how serious it was and I I didn't tell my work I went back to work I had a couple days off when it happened anyways and then I went back to work um and (laughs) I remember at work so I was working in hospitality at the time and I was people were telling me they were like are you okay and I was like yeah why and they were like you're speaking like Yoda and I was like putting my sentences backwards Mm. um like Yoda would and I didn't even realize I was doing it and like people that I had known for years they would walk in to the bar and I would be like hey and like completely blank on their name and I could not recall it for the life of me and I would just be standing there like blank faced like you know and so eventually people clued on and I live in a very small town in terms of you know friends and friends and friends are you know just circles of friends and they all know each other and it got around that I had this concussion and I had to leave the barbecue on the night that it happened and it came back around to my boss who is one of my good friends um, and he sat me down and he was like this is maybe after three or four days of working after it and he was like did you get hit in the head at boxing? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he was like, because you constantly seem like you've had about four pints. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine, you know. And he's like, you're not allowed to work anymore. Um, and sent me home and on my way. And I was like, I was kind of angry about it, <laughs> to be honest. Like, because I really denied that it was as serious as it was. Mm-hmm. Um and I remember that summer it was it was in the summer and that summer had just been horrible weather it was like just the worst summer ever and I remember the sun came out and started shining so intensely right when I had that concussion and got sent home so I was like locked in my room with the like blinds shut with like a sleeping mask on trying to when you're recovering from a concussion you literally cannot do anything that's going to stimulate your brain so like you think go home sick oh watch movies read books listen to podcasts you know like no you're not allowed to do any of those things you literally lay there in your own head trying to let your head rest it is the hardest thing and so this is where you can really attach like your mindfulness and your meditation to the concussions and stuff in in the physical sense in the mental sense you know I'll get into later but it is so hard and it's so hard because it's not like a broken leg. It's not something that people can see that is 
obviously physically mm-hmm. wrong with you. Right. You know, so it, it's so hard for people to sympathize with and for people to know how to treat you and act around you and what to do and how to help and even just to remember that your brain is injured. You know, it's like a massive bruise on your brain. And it's like... If you keep pressing a bruise, it's not going to heal because you're constantly traumatizing it again. So if you keep thinking and doing things when you've got a concussion, you keep pressing that bruise and it's not going to heal. You know, it just takes longer and longer and longer to heal. And so it's so hard to tell you stuff, especially, like I said, when I'm like so yang, I'm go, 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 do this, do that, do that, Mm -hmm. to tell myself to just not. And to not be able to see the injury and see it healing. And like, well, and how soon can I? Well, who knows, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those were the initial, the physical symptoms of that. And when you start to even think of that, you know, being a physical symptom, it's also very mental. So, yes, it is surrounding your brain and a brain injury, but then that really affects your state of mental health, your state of mind. So much, but so I had already had a trip home booked. Um, One of my best friends from high school was getting married and then my sister was getting married um, a few weeks after that. So I already had a trip home booked within, I mean, I think two weeks of Mm. getting the concussion. So it was, I initially thought like, oh, what great timing, you know, not great. I mean, no timing is great to get a concussion, but at least I already have this time booked off work and I'm not completely screwing them over. And, um, you know, I'll I'll get to go home to mom and dad's and rest up from it a little bit. Um, I'd even seen you then and you, you were even just kind of foggy and even recalling that visit even too, because that was during your recovery. Yeah. And even then I was like denying how, how bad it was, you know, like, I went home to mom and dad's and I remember I was like, I'll just do a small run because I like was going insane, not doing any physical activity. Mm-hmm. And I went for like a 5k run or something that was quite small for me at the time in my physical, excuse me, abilities. And the whole next day I had like the worst migraines. I had the worst headaches. I like my body was just like, no, I am not ready for that. What are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. pump the brakes. Um, so yeah, that was that was hard and it was hard like being overly stimulated at that first wedding in particular, my um my good friend from high school's wedding, like I there were so many people around obviously for a big beautiful wedding and and so many people I hadn't seen in so long living overseas and having a scattered brain, like it was just it was so overwhelming and and hard to recall and hard to respond and and like I said, when people can't see an injury, they don't really know what's wrong. And mm-hmm. you're not going to wander around the whole room and talk about your brain injury. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it on the podcast was because it's such, it's coming to light so much more now, which is amazing. But it's still one of those things that's so misunderstood and it's so hard to understand if you don't have one yourself or if you haven't had somebody that's close to you have one. Um. And also because every single concussion is so different, you know, somebody can have one um, that's quite mild and, and, you know, they feel dizzy and they feel okay after, you know, 48 hours or something. And then some people can have like serious ones where, you know, they're in the hospital for a while. And so how do you relate 
it's just so hard. You mm-hmm. can't, you know? So, um, yeah. And having had this happen abroad, you know, you were traveling and living abroad. So how does healthcare or recovery from that kind of happen? I know that you were home for part of your, of your recovery, but it happened abroad. So how does that, how does healthcare work for that? Yeah, so New Zealand has um, a system called ACC, which is essentially accident coverage. So if anything happens that's an accident, that's not like a predisposed condition or something along those lines, um, you're paying into that from your wages when you work and then um, you apply for it when you get injured and that if it gets accepted, you get 80% of your wages for, you know, however long the healthcare professionals think that you need. Um, And so I didn't apply for that because I already had my trip booked home and like my passport going out of the country would have canceled it anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had seen the physio, like I said, to test against my baseline before I left um, to see how kind of how bad I was and on a spectrum. And, um, I didn't realize that for some reason she didn't register my case under an ACC number, which should happen in any time you go see a healthcare professional. And for some reason she didn't. Um, and so I got back to New Zealand after my trip home and I was still feeling effects, but different effects. So this is when it had kind of my physical symptoms had subsided to a certain extent, but um, mental ones were coming to the forefront. And I didn't realize for a while, you know, why I was feeling this way mentally. And I'm such one for research. Like I said to you earlier, like I can just catch myself sometimes turning into my mom. And, like, she just researches everything. If she wants to know something, like, she's taking out every single library book on the topic, Mm -hmm. you know, like, she's so intelligent. And so that's what I was doing. (laughs) And I was like, what is wrong with me? You know, like, why am I feeling this way? I was irritable. Like, that is a big one. Initially, I was so irritable. I was um, depressed, Mm -hmm. you know. I was so sad, like, so often. I just remember, like... People would ask me, how am I? Especially because I work in hospitality and I worked with so many like locals that I knew and saw every day. And I knew, you know, their jobs. I knew their family. I knew, you know, so much about them. And they would just be like, hey, how are you today? And I would be like, yeah, I'm good. And every time I said it, I was like, you're lying. You're not good. You know, like, and that was so powerful for me. I was like, I was just never, I just was so negative. You know, I hated everything about everything and I just it wasn't me I didn't understand what was wrong with me and so like I said I was doing this research and um finally linked it back to this could be my concussion coming back at me in a different way and so I went to the doctor and they were like well we don't have any record of anybody you know your physio lodging an ACC number And I was like, well, that's weird. You know, like I saw her right after and they were like, well, how, you know, by the time I had pieced this together, it had been a few months um, since the actual injury. And so I was like, well, they were like, how do you, how can we apply to ACC for help for you if it happened so long ago, you know? 
and we don't have any record of initial contact. And this just turned into a nightmare. Like, so pretty much I was being told that I couldn't get any health care um, for the accident, even though I should have, you know, should have been well within the range to get to get help. And I had a brain injury. So how do you fight these kind of administrative things when you have a brain injury and you're already feeling depressed? You know, it was such a battle for me. And I was so lucky that after, you know, a couple months of battling, I had to get you know, my boxing coach to write me um, a letter just saying what had happened. And um, I had housemates and good friends that um, were physios as well. And so they knew a lot of the caseworkers with ACC and they had to vouch for me, um, pull some strings for me, I think is what eventually did the, stri- did the trick of this girl's suffering. You know, she's not trying to get time off work. She's just reaching out for help and like if you don't if you don't help her there could be some serious repercussions here pretty much um so I think that I think they pulled some strings for me I'm not sure what eventually what eventually made them help me to be honest um but I did get um a neuropsychologist eventually um, to my case, I guess, and, and an occupational therapist as well that would check in on me. Um, but the funny thing was, I think it was also my, my physio that I was seeing at the time, cause I was marathon training through all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to do my first full marathon and I had signed up for it and I was, you know, it was another physical kind of, um, box I guess I wanted to tick in my life of at least doing one and so I had gone to see my physio who was a completely other physio there's like three different physios in the story (laughs) Mm -hmm. um about uh ankle injury that I had and I like it was hurting me running and you know and then and I knew she was good with concussions so I picked her I guess based on the two she was good for running stuff she's a runner and she was great for concussions and so I think that's why I picked her and I said something about my head and she dove a little bit deeper into that and then the whole session became about my head and I remember leaving and I was like she didn't even talk to me about my ankle I just want her to wrap up my ankle so I can go running you know and she didn't and I was so frustrated and now like I can't thank her enough because that was exactly what I needed was somebody for my head and she I think attested to ACC as well for me that um this is quite serious and I'm not the one trained to take this on you know she needs a professional um, which is where my neuropsychologist came in um finally after a big battle Mm -hmm. yeah big time yeah I remember getting the letters about this because we'd only briefly spoken about this kind of stuff on Skype and on FaceTime, but I remember getting the full detail, like point by point, line by line, and just being beside myself thinking as if this is happening to you. Like, yeah, like I feel like I was just rambling for ages again, <laughs> but like the the amount of shit I went through with that was just like, mm-hmm. oh my God. It's just like fighting 
the rules that were put there for a reason. I get it. So people don't take advantage of the system, but I so wasn't trying to be that person. You know, I just wanted help and it was so hard to get. But once I got it, like it was like a shining light. Like my neuropsychologist is such a brilliant guy, you know, and he's so good at what he does. He was amazing. So what were the next steps in that then? You know, once you were assigned a neuro? So... like it it, it's really I don't know how many times I saw him Mm -hmm. um and I saw him you know like a couple times a week and then it eventually went less and less and less as he thought he I he I didn't need him as much but um it was it was therapy essentially it was brain therapy there was a lot of different things and I think that he had a lot of different tools in his box and he would just kind of whip out the one that applied to me on the day, depending on how I was feeling. Cause I was so, um, unpredictable, mm-hmm. um, and how I was feeling. Um, so, you know, he did a bit of like rapid eye movement therapy with me and EMDR EMDR. Yeah. Um, and he did, you know, just like talking, a lot of talking through. And I also, my partner at the time was really struggling to understand, um, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Cause he had never experienced somebody with a concussion as severe as that. And, um, brought him to a couple sessions just to try and explain the brain to him and, and helping me with my sleep patterns and, um, you know, like I wasn't sleeping very well, which is a very typical symptom of concussions. And that really hinders your emotional and mental health because your sleep is like your brain detox. It's when your brain um, files everything away in its nice little filing cabinets. And my mm. filing cabinet in my brain was overflowing and there was files everywhere because I wasn't sleeping well enough to, to organize my brain. Mm-hmm. You know, just like so many just learning about what was happening in my brain and um, and why and then how we were going to fix it and all the different tools that, you know, applied to me. So for being someone that is so physically active and, you know, you're basically being told throughout this recovery that exercise you should be kind of pulling back on, how did you get your releases of all of the good hormones? Yeah, so I like I said, I was marathon training and um, had a bad ankle, an ankle which they eventually sent me to the hospital for, uh, like months after hurting it, because they were like, I think you've been running on a broken ankle. It didn't actually turn out that way, but that just kind of um, encompasses how how addicted I was to the running. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because the running was the only thing that was giving me good hormones, good endorphins to my brain, you know, like I felt good after running. That was the only time I felt good. And so my run training schedule was intense, you know, like I was running every day, but to an obsessive point, um, to a point where, you know, I would have the busiest day I would get up and I go to my boxing boot camp that I was still doing and then I would I wasn't I wasn't sparring just to put that out there (laughs) um I was just exercising and and then go to work and then come home and eat dinner and then uh go maybe play ice hockey that night and then come home and you know I'd done so much physical activity but I was still like I need to get my 20k run in 
And I had some nights where, where I was like, you know, you've done a lot of cross training today. Just give yourself a break. Go to bed. And I would get up at one in the morning with so much anxiety about missing that run and go for my run. Like, I was so addicted to this good endorphins that I could get. And, you know, I would get it from the cross training. I would get it from the hockey, but I wouldn't get it to the extreme of the running. And so the running just became this addiction. And to be fair, I mean, in terms of marathon training, it was it was a great regiment, but it was it, the professionals, like my, my physio and the neuropsych, um, Although they didn't necessarily think it was the best thing for me, they were like, hey, whatever gets your brain some good endorphins at this point, like we support because you need that, obviously. So your brain at this point was, um, you know, healing well enough that the jarring of running wasn't affecting it like they had told you you weren't able to run when it had initially happened. Yeah. So at this point, like the physical symptoms were mostly gone. It was on to the mental and... um, don't quote me on this because I don't know from a professional standpoint, but I've been told from professionals their opinions and their experience with concussions is that with delayed onset concussions like I had, um, a lot of the symptoms do end up being very emotional and mental. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the physical were essentially gone. Um, it, I was just left with these mental like symptoms that were really, really bad. And, my doctor, my GP, um, is very, very medically based. And he, um, I went, when I first went to him, you know, way back in the story, he put me on antidepressants until I could get, you know, counseling help. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think the pairing of the two was really essential because when I first went to him, like I just needed something, Mm -hmm. I needed something to give me a break. I needed something to like save me at that point. And that's what it was. It was antidepressants. And although like I'm very natural, I'm very like up for all the natural therapies that I can get with, without using medications. Um, I needed it, you know, there's a time and place and that was definitely it. Mm -hmm. And then, so how has the, how have you, cause you're not on them anymore. So how have you come off of those? What was that journey like? So, like, I didn't even want to be on them in the first place. It took me a few days at least to start taking them because the just the stigma of natural, um, of antidepressants, sorry, is just so huge. Like, I struggled to even tell the closest people to me that I had been prescribed them for days. Um, and then eventually had convinced myself, like, I need this. I need something. Um, and so went on them. And then... I hated I always hated the idea although I accepted it as being something that I that I needed at that point in my life um but it was always something that I was like fighting my GP on every checkup like can I go off these yet can I go off these yet like surely you know I can go off these now mm-hmm. and he was like no 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 you well know. and with different levels of depression obviously I'm no expert too but I mean there are some people that will you know be on them for life Um, It could be situational depression. It could be chemical depression. There's so many different types of, um, you know, meds that are out there to help people cope with different things. And I even know too that I guess because yours had stemmed from a brain injury, wasn't it kind of a prognosis that it wasn't, it was going to be something that you were going to be able to get over or heal through right from the get-go? It was just a matter of timing. 
Yeah, and like I rush everything in my life. I'm constantly like on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And um, I was doing it with this and that's not something you rush through um, in terms of these medications. So um, <clears throat> yeah, I was on them for a while and then I started to wean off. I started not to take them every day, um, just being really conscious of um, my my mental health and where I was at you know like if I started to feel badly after too long of not taking them you know I would make sure I took them that night before bed and and I did have the blessing of my neuropsychologist at this point you know like he had he had dismissed me he said I don't think you know we need to see each other anymore I think you're doing great um and I think that if you want to come off these meds like you can but you know do it like this so um, I did have his blessing. I didn't have the blessing of my GP. He is so medically, like, he's such a medical model. And I, but I, I just decided to disagree with that, you know? I was like, I have one professional's help and blessing. And that was enough for me because I had so much trust in him at this point after all the sessions we had had together and all the emotions we had gone through together. And um, so, yeah, the weaning off took, a long time in itself and then I knew that the coming off it completely was going to be hard I'd heard I'd researched about it I had heard stories about it um and so back to doing my research I started researching natural um ways to help myself in this case and came across um different types of vitamins that I could add into my daily um routine of all my supplements and so um, it's definitely not the cheapest way to go off antidepressants, that's for sure. These vitamins are not cheap, but, um, uh, added those into my daily life and that's what I'm on. I'm on vitamins instead of antidepressants and I'm on the regiment of self-care and being yeah. way, way more conscious of my mental state. So, yeah. Mental, yeah. And physical. Like, I mean, you super prioritize your health and mental health, yeah. physical, mental Spiritual, yeah, emotional. Did I already say that? <laughs> uh, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. You're like you're very actively working on all areas of your health at all times. Just like embracing complete well-being, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not perfect. You make me sound perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our things. <laughs> but yeah, I try. That's for sure. You know, like mm-hmm. so. So then what helps keep you centered? I mean, if, if things are going sideways or life seems really hectic and I know that you like to stay busy, what brings you back to center? Well, this is where the yoga's come in for me. And this is where coming full circle, timing is everything. You know, um, this was the right time for me. I don't think five years ago when I looked at India, it was the right time. This was the perfect time for me. And it was the perfect time for me to really take everything in you know, really be open. I was like, what do I have to lose here? You know, you've already gone so far down that rabbit hole in like a negative way, you know, where else is to go but up? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got nothing to lose. So listen to what these people are telling you and why they're so happy. These Balinese, amazing, happy, kind humans. Um, the teachers that I had were just like incredibly wise. Um and it was perfect timing for me to, for, yeah, like I said, for me to take it all in, for me to prioritize my mental health, for 
made a habit. You know, obviously there's the asanas part of your yoga practice, which are the postures. So it's like, yeah, the physical aspect was there as well, which I loved. But it was really the spiritual, mental, mindfulness, meditation side that like blew my mind over the past month. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a definitely a very magical place to do anything related to health and wellness. Yeah. Hands down. And uh, even you and I had mentioned the importance of beings that are busy and active and outdoorsy, how much we need to be outside. And that could be any season, but outside and being in nature, even just chilling by the beach today is like such soul food for us. Well, yeah. And that's like where my running comes back in into like Mm -hmm. way more of a healthy, (laughs) way more of a healthy balance than my, my marathon training, you know, but like my running is also a meditation in itself. Um, being out in the mountains where I live, being like in the complete peace, being out of reception area where no one can contact you, you know, like just being one with your environment um, is like something to behold. Um, and I try and fit that into as many weekends as I possibly can in my life in New Zealand. New Zealand's such an amazing country in terms of having those landscapes so accessible to you. Um, so, yeah, that's been a massive part as well, just to kind of help my brain unwind. And, and it's just knowing, I guess, for yourself what you need at what point and giving yourself that, mm-hmm. you know, prioritizing that. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, I get yeah, I get it. And just for listeners' sake, for my appreciation for you, big time. So Lindsay's actually sitting here with a blue mala around her neck, representing the throat chakra. And I didn't have to like really twist your arm. You really kind of came around to it <laughs> faster than I thought. Um Lindsay tends to be quite private. So the fact that she has jumped into being a guest on the Safe Haven podcast, it means so much to me. And it's almost like that practice what you preach thing, you know, um, especially after being so wide open after your yoga teacher training. And, uh, you know, a yoga teacher training does break you wide open on so many levels. And being able to share something very personal, you know, about your story means a lot to the listeners for sure, but it means a lot to me that you've kind of really stepped out of your comfort zone and have actually just been like, okay, Amanda, I'll do it. I'm just doing it for you. (laughs) I didn't tell you that. (laughs) But yeah, I was mostly doing it for you. But no, it is a message that I really do think is important. You know, it's, um, I didn't just want to say, yeah, Amanda, I'll get on the podcast and I'll, and I'll shoot the shit about you know one thing or the other yeah yeah like I wanted to talk about something that meant something to me so um that could have been one of many things but I think this is it's a good one this is a good one yeah (laughs) and hopefully it's a bit different from all the other amazing guests that you've had well I also think that this blue beautiful mala has helped with your communication hopefully oh gosh (laughs) (laughs) and I and I also managed not to cry although I was uh, close at some points there yeah I saw that I saw that (laughs) I wasn't going to ask you any more questions or to deep dive into that because I know you well enough to know that that could have just had us both in puddles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thank you no. so much for being a guest. That means the world to me, honestly. Thank and the you. fact that we're just like hanging out in Bali and can just go and jump in a pool right now. I know. I'm about to do so. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Safe Haven podcast. Please make sure that you like, rate, subscribe, 
Tell all your friends and comment as you follow along. Your generous support keeps the sharing and messages coming your way. You can find the Safe Haven podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Podbean. And you can also follow along on Instagram at the Safe Haven podcast for the latest updates. I will talk to you next week.